0: Rugby Matrix America is brought to you by the USA Sevens International Rugby Tournament. 16 of the top national sevens teams converge on Las Vegas as part of the HSBC Sevens World Series in February 11 and 12. 2012, and it's all at Sam Boyd Stadium. It's the biggest party in American rugby in the city that knows how to have a party. Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com to learn more about the USA7s tournament, and also about playing in the Las Vegas Invitational in the days leading up to February 11 and 12. You won't regret it. Check it out and also by Rugby Imports, whether you're outfitting yourself for the new season or outfitting your team's on-field kit or off-field warm-ups, or even if you're just looking for training equipment. Check out Rugby Imports at RugbyImports.com for all your rugby needs. This is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome, everyone, to the show. This is Alex Goff, editor-in-chief of RugbyMag.com, and joined once again, as usual, by Pat Clifton and Bruce McClain. Uh Both of you guys, I'm thinking, are, are, are roasting just a little bit. It's very nice and, and cool out here in the Northwest. It's not that way anywhere else in the country.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm dying. It's 100 degrees in New York City, and it's not good. So I have my air conditioner on in the background in my office, and that's just part of what we have to deal with.
0: Yeah, you know, you sound you sound very imperial with the air conditioner out in the background, like you're out in some uh, tropical location. It turns out your tropical location is New York City, but it 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 sounds more like you're in uh, Bangalore or something.
1: I'm not great with geography. <laughs>
0: Bangalore Bangalore is a little bit south and a little bit east of New Jersey. There you go. Doesn't okay.
2: sound very tropical.
1: <laughs> it is now.
2: <laughs> and Pat, how's it going? Good, good. I spent uh, the weekend roasting in the, in the sun here and camping out in Missouri. Won't be doing that again. I think it's air conditioning from uh, pretty much May to September for me from now on. Uh, I'll save the camping for the other months.
1: My idea of roughing it to a hotel without cable. Well,
0: I was spending the weekend roughing it in Palo Alto, California, where I saw the All-Americans play New Zealand universities. And uh, it was an interesting game. It was an exciting game. And, and I, I will say that uh, there was a very good crowd on hand. I think most of the the seats at Stoiber Stadium in Stanford were, were full and uh, you know it was very sunny it was a very warm day in the end the all-americans ended up losing a game 23 to 20 and there are several factors involved in in why they lost but i uh, i wanted to get your guys impression also uh, if you caught the game or talked to people about it uh what you you thought about how that caps off a a, a three-game series where they won the first game 60 to 17 they won the second game 21 to 11 obviously a lot closer and then this third one they ended up losing so does that put a bad taste in the mouth of the entire series or do we do look do we look at it and say hey they won the series two to one it doesn't really matter
1: it doesn't put a bad taste in terms of the entire series uh they won the series and that's a good job um i i'm I only saw the second game because the feed on the third game didn't come through, so I I basically just found out from a friend of mine who had a Twitter account who who was getting the scores It was actually Seamus Kelly's dad, but and so that's all I really knew from that. But I, I think it's I think it's good they won the series, but I the disappointing thing is in in the second game especially they had territorial ascendancy and were not able to convert that pressure into points. And I think a lot of it almost seemed due to when, when they got down there, people were kind of looking and see and looking to score and looking to, you know, get cheap things as opposed to just powering their way over the line and, and blasting into the contact situation low, dominating the contact and going over the line and creating gaps that way. I I didn't, I was I was hopeful for a better performance in terms of based on the result and, and I of course we didn't see the first game, based on the result of the first game. And and as and what I had said, the reason that I thought I, I thought the all Americans were far more athletic, I thought that they were better players and I thought that they were a better team all in all. And I think that when you do that you have to convert Territorial ascendancy in the points you have to convert mistakes into points, and you have to counter pressure with pressure and When you can counter pressure with pressure and turn it into points, which is what I imagine happened in the first game, then you can dominate and it didn 't happen New Zealand had pretty well organized defensive line, but I, you know what do you think what did you think in the third game based on that
0: Well, I think that first of all, your point about converting pressure into points is, is well taken, and that first half for the All-Americans, the All-Americans were clearly the better team in that first half, and they, they had pressure for huge amounts of the first half. They really only allowed New Zealand universities into their own half probably three times, One time there was a missed penalty kick. One time they just rebuffed them, and one time they gave up a try right at the end of the half, Uh, kind of a a, a bad try. And and the the first try that the All-Americans scored was right out of the playbook. It's exactly what they wanted. They had a nice line out. There was a catch and drive. The drive went close to the line, and then they went through several phases. They tried the backs. They tried the forwards, but they didn't try anything too flashy. They just stayed near the line, and eventually Chris St. passes out to Nate uh, Brakely, the, the lock from Dartmouth, who's in more the second channel, and he just goes to that gap, pushes off one guy, and powers through another, and he's over. And and everybody – and we talked to, talked to players after the game, and they said, yeah, that was great. We were very happy with that try, and then we didn't do it anymore because I, they got spoiled. In my opinion, that first game, they did convert pressure into the points the first game. But what they also did was convert New Zealand pressure into tries for themselves. They had several turnover uh, kind of tries where they, they threw the ball around a little bit. I think they surprised the New Zealanders a little bit. And they scored 60 points. But in this game, I saw an awful lot of time where a guy was being hit, really rocked and he was trying a backhand pass as he was being dumped to the ground stuff like that was just just really bad and and a couple of them actually worked which is almost even worse because they do it some more it seemed to me that they tr- they got caught up in this idea that they could they could score from anywhere so they should score from anywhere and as a result especially in that first half they didn't
1: well when when you can score from anywhere you should always think you can score from anywhere the thing is, you don't want to uh, – an offload is a double-edged sword. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when it comes off perfectly, and and when you spill it, it's, it's a negated opportunity. The fact that you can score from anywhere doesn't mean that you have to get it all in one shot. You don't have to get it all in one play, and you don't have to get it all in one sequence. The idea is to keep the pressure on and crack the will of the other team. Now, when they're offloading, it, it would be better – If they really busted through, controlled the contact, got their hands free, and fed a runner who was coming hard. And that wasn't happening from what I saw. The other thing that I saw in the second game was I would have expected, especially when you have an athletic ascendancy like we had, to go up and have your defensive line really flying at times when it's on. Now, you ask, when when is it on? Generally, it's on when you have even numbers in defense. Or it's on when they're on the sideline. So if the other team's on the sideline, essentially they can only go one direction. And at that point, you fire up and you try to make a play. And and, and I think that they were kind of coming up and then kind of shifting across and just kind of giving the New Zealanders a chance to get a little bit of, for lack of a better word, confidence, when they should have been knocking the confidence out of them with every single hit using aggressive line speeds. That's just what I... I I, I, I think that when you have an athletic ascendancy, it's okay to use it. Yeah. And and you don't have to play a steady, systematic, don't-lose-the-game game. game. You play a game that you're going to crush these guys, you're going to crack their will, and you're going to keep doing it for 80 minutes. And I think that that was the attitude they might have gone in with in the first game because they were scared. And then when they got complacent, They played a complacent game and a a game that just, you know, everybody wanted to be the hero, it seemed to me. And I think that everybody can be a hero when you're playing team rugby. Yeah. And I think they learned a very valuable lesson. So in that, they learned the lesson. They won the games. They won the two games relatively convincingly. And the third game, they should have won, but, you know, as we all say – the object of the game is to outscore the opposition, not to outplay them. So you, know, there, there are, you have to convert pressure into points. Yeah, there are there are a few other factors that that
0: aren't um, that are a little bit more out of their control that I'd like to touch on. One of them is uh, Ryan Roundy went down with a, a broken leg thirty minutes into the game.
1: Irrelevant. Okay, oh, oh, oh. irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. It's not irrelevant because it's, an it's irrelevant. <laughs> You know, it's not irrelevant. Inj- injuries happen. It's an it, all-American it, it, team. They it, it, have players who can fill in. Yeah, they, they
0: had players who could fill in. The players who filled in were not as good as Roundy. And they, and I don't want to single out guys and say, but there were missed tackles and there were there were missed opportunities that Roundy was doing before that I mean, the, that, that Roundy took care of. And then they ended up being missed later on in the game. The, the second
1: thing that – Alex, can I say one thing? Yeah. Yeah. On attack, on attack, there's a multiple there's multiple skills that players need to have to use the ball. It's it's you know you can understand that an injury may get cause some problems in attack if you don't get a similar style player on the field. But in defense, that's not really an excuse. In defense, you play your system, you do your role, and you make your tackles. I mean that to me is irrelevant it's it's an irrelevant injury on a uh, team that's uh, supposed to be elite how, how do how do you say that, players that players when somebody misses that. a
0: tackle leads directly to a try and and you I'm
1: saying you're making excuses you're making an excuse it's right. an irrelevant excuse right. it's not it's a, the, whoever the ki- whoever the kids were who may have missed the tackles they'll put the, I guarantee they'd put their hand up and say hey i made a mistake and it's not and it's not an, an, an excuse guy, it's a re- it's not an excuse, it's a reason. I, okay,
2: If Michael Jordan wait, it's, it's, goes down in a game saying we lost the game because Michael Jordan went down, that's, okay, it's an excuse, but it's also a reason. An excuse is a bad connotation to it. Ryan Roundy is the best number eight that we have in the college ranks, period. When he gets hurt, it's going to hurt their chances to win.
1: Yeah, but I mean, to to have a team that went from sixty to seventeen to losing the game, it didn't happen because of one guy. It's it, it, you know, and you could say Scully didn't play, but um, even two guys, it it it, I don't think that that's a reason. All right, like, All right I no, understand well, where you're coming from, but like Michael Michael Jordan went down, and 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 they, you know, they they did go to the. To the conference finals, at least against the Knicks. I
0: don't want to talk about basketball. Basketball sucks. Um, the, the, what I'm, all I'm saying is that the team was performing at a certain level for the first, first 30 minutes, and they were up 10 to nothing. And then their the captain and one of their best players gets hurt, and they perform at a slightly different level after that. And – and I made, I'm making the assumption, first of all, that he would have made tackles that were missed later. And I'm making the assumption that he would have provided a certain element of leadership in the pack that maybe wasn't there to help win a game that was still winnable. I also, there's also an issue with the refereeing. Now, I, I really – I don't want to do this because, first of all, I get into trouble with referees all the time. Every time I criticize referees, uh, a whole bunch of them email me or call me and tell me that I would never say anything nice about referees. And I, I'll say that Joe Androvich, who is the referee of this past game, is a great referee, and I've seen him do a lot of games. I really like his style. I like the fact that he doesn't get mad, and he has a, a, has a good uh, conversational style. He communicates well with the players. But here's what happened in this game. Uh, The All-Americans were on defense, and uh, they had uh, knocked the ball on, and New Zealand took the ball. So there was an advantage, a knock-on advantage to New Zealand. They immediately passed the ball out to one of the New Zealand players, and – in the type of uh, aggressive defense that you would have liked, Bruce, Derek Asbin goes in and cuts the guy in half. Just beautiful tackle. The ball's dropped, turnover. Uh, Garrett Lambert kicks the ball downfield, and Lambert and Brakeley chase after it. Lambert gets it, he hands off to Brakeley. They recycle really quickly. They pass out to Kyle Grossheider, and Grice- Grossheider scores a try. What happened there was that it appeared that androvich had run if not a very short advantage had almost forgotten the advantages like advantage black okay they've got the ball they passed it once advantage over and then it was turned new zealand universities were very upset about that and after that call the all-americans didn't get another call the rest of the game they got a very they got a penalty against them for a very dubious diving onto the ball by Lambert, which wasn't diving onto the ball. He did that thing. He's, he's trying to take the ball, and a counter rocker comes and grabs him and just pulls him down onto the ground. That's something that we have see all the time. It's not a penalty to that defensive player because he's not trying to fall over. He's been pulled down. Penalized for that, there was another diving over of a similar nature. Immediately, the referee then warns All-Americans. All right, there's only been two of these. He's given them a warning. Then another dubious one really didn 't look like diving over to me i 've got to check the film again, but uh, Zach Vinolio is called for it, and Sinbind so the entire game turns around on what appears to be a makeup for a bad call and and after that. Uh, you know, I started – I could read you my notes. I started underlining calls. There were just every borderline call that could have gone to New Zealand's way went New Zealand's way, and any borderline call of a similar nature wasn't called for all Americans. And penalties that New Zealand was committing, especially in the scrum – they did an early shove in the scrum several times and were penalized early. They kept shoving early, and they – and there was no calls in the second half of the game, and that – had a direct factor in a match where New Zealand University scored two tries and kicked three penalty goals against an All-Americans team that scored three tries and New Zealand University wins by three points.
1: But, uh, again, a referee is something you can't control. An injury is something you can't control. And good teams play above that. And I'm not saying that it wasn 't a factor in the game i I absolutely believe it was probably a factor in the game, but when you allow it to get to you that 's when that 's when you have problems and and playing as Americans, we have to understand it 's like it 's like old school boxing you have to knock out the champ you have to prove yourself a lot of times referees in a, in games where Americans play. They give the benefit of the doubt to the other team. And until we start winning games convincingly or winning games against uh, people who are better than us, they still have that in their head. Referees don't want to ref upsets, they don't. And and they can say that they do, they don't. So a a lot of times, teams are not going to get calls that they may expect. And, and again, you can't control the referee, so it's a, again, it's a non-factor. You can't control injuries. Oh, no, no. I'm just saying just, just because, that because you
0: can't control them doesn't mean that it's a non-factor. All, but it's, it's oh, something you can't.
1: It's something you can't worry about. They were good we enough gotta, to play. A, that's,
2: that, that's. Let me let me explain what's happening here. We have a coach, and we have a journalist. The coach is saying, coming from the 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 viewpoint of uh, our team should have overcome it anyways because excuses are never good enough for a coach, and Alex, as an observant of the game, is saying, well, you're right. They could have overcome it, but they didn't, and it's, this has still happened, and this is why it happened. So it's just two different viewpoints it's,
0: coming here. Buddy. Yeah, it's, he has- it's, it's, where, it's where I'm coming from. If, when people say, oh, my God, we can't, even, we can't even beat these guys, or we can't beat these guys, our players weren't good enough. I think our players were good enough. I think the coaches were good enough, but there were a couple of factors that undercut them. But you say something else. Bruce, which I I do agree with, is that you have to be able to handle it, and this is where um, uh, another thing that came out. One of the players was saying there was an awful lot of off the ball stuff. Um, there was a there was a uh, Sean, Seamus Kelly was pulled back off a uh, uh, off the ball, and both officials saw it by the way and didn't do anything. Um, but. There was an awful lot of off-the-ball off stuff that got under the skin of the All-Americans, and they acknowledged that they had a tough time dealing with it. And
1: And that is – let's talk about what you can control about that. Can, can I say one thing? No. No. I, I need to say one thing. The knock-on by the uh, Americans that the New, the New Zealanders played, they knocked on – or they, then the Americans made a play and then scored a try. Yes. Yeah. So a mistake gave them five points. Yes. yes. Five points and momentum. And they didn't capitalize on it. Yeah. And, and, yep. yep. and then by the same token, we're willing to use mistakes as a crutch. And that's all I'm saying.
0: Okay, I'm not. No, so, I'm, no, I'm, let, I'm, just, let me let I'm, me answer that. Let me answer that. They're not using it as a crutch. I'm saying it.
1: You're using it as a crutch. I'm I'm using, let let it, that. I didn't I'm mean them. It. I told you they would raise their hand. I'm, I'm
0: happily I'm happily putting the crutch under them. But that's me. That's on me. It's not on anyone else. Fair point. Um, the 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 uh, one other issue about this. That I wanted to talk about with the All-Americans is if you look at the, the season that these All-Americans play, the college season, how many tough games have they played coming into these kinds of matches? And I think you could argue for some of them maybe as many as three, some of them too. And, I, and, and by tough games, what I mean is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a game that they really have to pay attention to for, for f- at least 50 minutes, if, you, if you're losing 90 to nothing, I don't. I mean, I think of that as a difficult game to lose, but it's not a tough game because at some point there's no urgency about how you have to be absolute hundred percent all the time, and you have to be dialed in all the time. You know, you're getting crushed, and if you try something a little bit wild and a little bit free and easy, it might come off, it might not. You know, at that point, try whatever you can. But I look at all these players, and I think from the guys at BYU to Cal to, you know, even. Um, Davenport University to San Diego State to Arizona, all these guys, how many tough games have they played? And the idea of the the college premier division was that we were going to – well, I thought anyway – we're going to ramp up the number of tough games that we were playing – so that when a player you know, the, when a player gets to a, a higher level this is what he wants to do he wants to try to play it at the highest level possible he's a little bit prepared and i still think that the th- the thing about trying to force you know tries from 80 meters and 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 not being patient the way you talk about it bruce and, and not being methodical the way you talk about it uh, i think comes from the fact that they they just don't play that often in a game where you have to be mentally focused for a full 80 minutes, 100% of the time, to, to pull that game out. It just doesn't happen that often.
1: Well, my take on the whole thing is, while it was a very, very successful tour, and I think that the players got a lot out of it, I think that Cal and BYU would have put 50 or 60 on these guys every time they played them. It's my own opinion. I'm entitled to it. You're entitled to disagree. I think that that's what would have happened if they faced a team that played like a team with a singleness of purpose. And I think that that's what the All-Americans were probably in Game 1. And in Game 2, it seemed like there were 15 individuals out there. And that was a little disheartening, and I don't know what happened in Game 3. But um, my take on what I saw in Game 2 is it Cal or BYU would have put 50 on them? Maybe 60.
2: That's a that separate was, point. That point. It's a separate point than what Alex was making. But Bruce, I, I, I do agree with that to some degree. But Alex, it's, as far as tough games, there's no doubt about it that you learn from being in there and having to focus. Focus is one of the biggest things you can have. I mean, that's the entire mental aspect of sports, and it's huge. And if you're not forced to, you're used to having to focus for 60 or 70 minutes, then it's going to have a, you know, it's, it can have very adverse effects when you're forced to be in a game where it requires you to be focused for 60 or 70 minutes. And Bruce, what you say in terms of uh, BYU or Cal, yeah, I think that you're probably right. Um, the BYU or Cal, I don't know if they hung 50 or 60, but they would have beat these guys handily. But th- I think that comes down to what's the purpose of the All-Americans? What is the purpose? At the end of the day, it's an all-star team where we're trying to find individuals who we think are going to be good Eagles, Right. What's the, the all Americans aren't going to grow up and this all American team is going to be playing in the World Cup in five years with the same personnel or four years? That's not what it. That's not what it is. It, it's it, what do you want to get out of the all Americans? Is it big wins or are we really trying to find individuals and identify players that are really good and, and can take it to the next level? Because I think that if you're trying to do the latter, you, you did that. If you're trying to win games, is that how we judge success on the all Americans?
1: Can, can, I'm, I'm going to answer that because that's, that's a great question. If it were me, the first thing you do want to do is you do want to identify talent. But rugby is, rugby is, in my mind, the optimum team game. And, and in order to identify talent, you want to identify players who understand how to play their role within a team game to have success for the team. And that may mean that you have to do things a little bit differently because in, in every year colleges change and every year players change and every year teams change. You may have to do things a little bit differently to gain success. Even though you may be a superstar line-out jumper, on, on an All-American team you might have to become a lifter. And then you might have to be more of a clear-out threat as opposed to a running threat on your own team. And and where you really see players who are individually talented, it's not necessarily running the ball in wide open space and scoring a try. It's a guy who really has a complete game. He can be a carrier and recycle quick ball. He can be a very hard, clear-out man and he he's organized and set in his defense and fills his roles properly and when he senses that there's there's a problem he takes advantage of that of like meaning uh you know 9 to 10 throws a, a loose pass or, or an up pass and instead of coming up slow come up hard and, and really really try to make a play on that 10 or jam in on the outside and try to make a play outside, cutting off his options, really really making a difference in the game within the team concept. It, it's not about whether or not you can stand out in the midfield and take a 15-yard chuck with, run with the ball, but you missed six rucks in a row. I'm, I'm talking about that's how I think that you want to look at the individuals is how do they adapt to being within a team concept. Because at the end of the day, you only win games at a higher level by playing as a team. And the more you play as a team and the more you as players meld yourself into the team and how you fit into the team and perform that role as as expertly as possible, that's the way you win. And so right. that's what I would look for great players, but I would look for players who do the hard work to make everyone around them better because if you get 15 guys who who have synergy – it's a lot better than 15 individuals who have talent.
2: There's no doubt about that. But you have to look at this. This All American group, this one here, will never, ever play again. They will never play with each other again. But when the coaches are evaluating it, yes, they're going to look at how well do people fill their roles? How well did they play defense? How well did they help each other? How were they, you know, what do they do in support? They're not just going to look at the gashing runs. But you're also talking about 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 year old kids who sometimes think, well, I need to break off a big run here to impress somebody. So yeah, that, that's what the evaluation process you know, is for the coach. They're,
0: they're also, they're also going to be looking at the numbers, and uh, y- you, could, you could have the, the biggest team player in the world, but if he's a, if he's a lock and he's 6'2 and a half, he's not going to project to the Eagles.
1: That, I, that, Alex, that's completely understood. And I'm not saying that they're going to project to the Eagles, but I'm saying when you're, looking, when you're looking for players and you're trying to identify talent, you try to identify talent that has a multiple range of skills to be able to to adapt to several different styles of play. and several. So you have to have several different competencies. And that's all I'm saying is it is a double-edged. It's a, it's a two-pronged thing. I think that in trying to win the game, you find out who the players are because when it comes down to winning big games, it's a mental thing. It's a, as Pat said, it's focus and it's being relentless on doing the small things. It's just a series of tasks that happen in a rugby game and doing them as well as you can throughout the course of that 80 minutes. That's just my take on it. And I understand that it's nice to see guys who are trucking 50. That doesn't happen. That often in huge games, you know, you get a line break and then you have to make a pass. So somebody's got to be in support or you have to or you have to make the decision that you're going down and we're going to clear over you. But you have to make intelligent decisions. And those are the things that you really have to look for. And, you know, and you have to have trust. You have to trust yourself and you got to trust your teammates. It's difficult to generate that kind of trust in a short assembly.
2: I think that we're agreeing more than we're not. But going back to your point, Alex, as far as a 6-2 lock that he can project to the Eagles, you mentioned Ryan Roundy earlier, and this is a guy that I've thought about, probably doesn't project as a back rower or as an Eagle, but you saw him, and you saw him play against probably the best competitions he's played against you know, internationally. What do you think? Where do you think he can project? Oh, the he's, that's, it's, it's
0: a big question, and I think feel the same way about Derek Aspen. I love Derek Aspen. He's a little bit small. So if I look at the back row that they had of uh, of Roundy, Aspen, and Lambert, Lambert is the guy who you say, well, th- he's got so many – all of these tools. He played very well, really, really good carrying the ball in contact where people are trying to grab it from him and he's being gang-tackled. He doesn't turn the ball over there. He makes yards and he still presents the ball back. Just a, that's a nice little skill to have. and. I don't know how tall he is. What is he? Six three. And he's a, he's a big guy. Uh, he's he's got height. He's got power. So, in addition to it, uh, Roundy, you know, I think I think Roundy can be a very good six. But it it depends on your coach and it depends on on you know um, what he wants out of a player. I think Roundy is good enough. You have to play way above your. You know, uh, in a way, you have to box above your weight. I do want to. We're gonna. We've got an interview coming up, and I wanted to talk about that. And and you know, we we talk about the the players who perform well, and there were there were some who who stood out to me. Uh, the J.P. Eloff, I thought was was for the most part uh, very strong at fly half. He uh, he he really commanded that position. And uh, and and I thought talking about a team player, Chris Saint. Had to play the entire series at scrum half because Sean Davies was hurt, so they had no other scrum half except you know their backup was Dustin Munn, who was also hurt and didn't play on on this past Saturday. Um, so Chris Saint, um, while not the perfect scrum half, is very 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 good. Did a, did a lot of great things and also. Put everything he had into it, and I think that's you know he, he showed how much of a team player he is. Uh, a couple of the other breakouts that I saw: Nate Brakely, the uh, the Dartmouth lock. He's a very big guy. He doesn't look like he's running really fast, but he covers an awful lot of ground. Uh, he's smart, uh, and I think he's got a, a lot of potential. And the guy I was very excited about was Zach Finolio, the uh, the hooker. Uh, um, he's he's kind of spent some time converting from prop to hooker, but I really like him at hooker, and he seems to be enjoying himself. I I thought defensively, he he did some some excellent things. Set piece was fine. I don't care about running with the ball. He was very good on defense.
2: A hooker, and, see that's that makes yeah. this whole thing a success if you find a third hooker. If you, in you the find a third hooker,
0: yeah, absolutely.
2: Um and And then
0: there was one of the obvious guys and this is uh here this comes up to the interview that Pat had with Peter Tiberio and Peter Tiberio scored three tries in the first game, one try in the second game, and one try in the third game and That try in the third game was virtually out of nothing. He feels a, a kick in his own half, passes to Duncan Kelm, who draws a little bit of attention, passes it back to Tiberio. You don't see that often on a counter, and I really like it. And Tiberio fended off a couple of people and just tightrope walked down the sideline into the corner. It was, it was beautiful to see. And he's a small guy too, but he's physically strong. He's very quick, and he's got that desire. So uh, here with an interview with Peter Tiberio is Pat from earlier this week.
2: Pat Clifton here uh, with RugbyMag.com, Rugby Magazine, doing our uh, first Eagle of the Week uh, segment. And we've got Peter Tiberio on the line. Peter is uh, currently on the West Coast uh, with the All-Americans. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing
3: well. Just enjoying the uh, California weather right
2: now. Where are you as we speak?
1: Um, currently we're in
3: Santa Barbara, hanging out at the uh, University of uh, California, Santa Barbara. I'm um, just kind of having some downtime right now, getting ready for the game tomorrow.
2: Um, your first game, obviously, you uh, you did pretty well, scoring three tries. Just tell me what that was like and and the experience. And, and, and could you believe it after the game was over that you actually had had put three down? Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um,
3: I, mean, I hadn't scored a try for the collegiate All Americans um, in the two previous years, actually. The, two years ago I made the team, but then left the tour early due to a torn hamstring and then last year I um, wasn't lucky enough to find myself in the try zone so this year I um, got the first one out of the way and then um, the next two came pretty quickly, but uh, I mean, to be honest I didn't have to do too much, you know the guys on the team kind of set me up to, uh, to be able to make some plays, so it wasn't, wasn't anything um, too great for me, just kind of taking advantage of the uh, work other guys on the team had done
2: a humble answer. That's shocking, um, Peter. It's he, been kind of a crazy—I don't know what six, seven months for you. You've you've gone from you know playing in the college premier division to to playing uh, for the Sevens Eagles to being somewhat the star of the college rugby championship on NBC, and and now you're scoring three tries in the uh, in the All-Americans. Can you can you kind of sum up what it's been like this past six, seven months for you, and going from all those different experiences?
3: Uh, and, you know, wasn't quite sure what was going to happen with rugby, if I was going to really keep playing at a high level or what. And then um, we selected All-Americans the past year and then did well in the college rugby this year and then lucky enough to be selected to go on tour with USA was just crazy. I mean, couldn't quite see this happening a year back, but, I mean, i mean, just going
2: to keep trying to play well and hope some more doors open up for me um let's talk about that sevens a little bit you know you went uh you went on tour with the boys and you got to play uh you scored um which has got to be pretty exciting to score in the in the world series what was that like with playing against those type of athletes slipping on that usa jersey and it and then it really being usa's top side and and getting really your first international experience yeah that was that was the probably the best experience
3: i've ever had in my life was going to Hong Kong in adelaide with the 17 but um I got was against England, which at the time they were ranked number one in the world, and uh, I actually got the start in that game, and going up guys like uh, Ben Gollings, you know, the, the highest point scorer in the Ivy 7 series today, uh, was pretty crazy, and then um, you're lucky enough to score in that game in front of uh, 45,000 people or so, is, I mean, it's amazing. It's definitely something I'll never forget, and something, I mean, no one can ever take away from me. It's an accomplishment that uh, that I'm very proud of.
2: Yeah, that was you know as far as the rugby people are concerned, uh, people that follow you and know anything about the game probably uh, is the most impressive thing that that they could say when you say Peter Tait. like, oh yeah, he scored against England. That's uh, That's awesome. But uh, I, don't think, I can't imagine that scored you too many points with the ladies in Arizona, and certainly not as much as. Uh, as, as being the stud of the CRC, what's it been like for you going back home and just are people recognizing you or are you getting more props around, you know, wherever you're staying? Yeah, I mean, a, a bunch of my high school friends always knew I was into rugby. And I mean, they heard I made the
3: USA national team and, and stuff like that, but really didn't understand like rugby or. But really like uh know that I was doing well in rugby really. But uh and then when they all saw that it was it was all like my Facebook kind of blew up and Twitter and everything was going crazy and so some people understood and then I mean just just being out some places like in San Diego, a few people approached me and, and asked and asked my name and everything, or uh, recognized me and just talked to me for a bit and then um People on Facebook and different um, social networking, um are kind of asking questions. Or I mean, it's cool. It's a, it's a great experience. It's definitely nothing
2: I've ever had before. I've got to imagine what's next for Peter Siberio. Is trying to uh, obviously finish out this tour well with the All-Americans and then and then try and make the Pan Am team. Um, is that what you got next?
3: Uh, yeah, definitely want to finish this, uh, tour with another two wins. Um, anything less than that probably wouldn't, um, we wouldn't sit too well with. But, um, yeah, then after this, um going back to Chicago, and so I'm gonna play some more sevens with the Lions this summer. I hope we win a national championship with them and then go straight into USA Sevens, which uh, I'm actually taking the next semester off school to keep myself available for the Pan Am games and then I'm going to finish school um, next
2: spring, so I'll graduate next May. Um, but, yeah, definitely the, the USA 17 is on the top of my list. Yeah, I didn't want to take that. Uh, I meant to mention the Lions, and I, I didn't. But uh, as far as everything else, it kind of pales in comparison. But winning a national championship, uh, you got to have a pretty good year. If, if, if going for a national championship and being the best team in the Midwest uh, kind of falls through the cracks. So sorry about that. What, uh, what's the pinnacle for you? Is the, you know, it used to be playing in the World Cup for the Eagles was, was about as good as you could do as an American, and getting a contract overseas to play playing 15s was, was about the, the top of the mountain. Well, now we've got the Olympics and the sevens thing. How do you rank that? I mean, if you had a preference, um, you know, would it be playing in the Olympics? Would it be playing in the World Cup, inking a contract overseas? What's the ultimate goal for uh, Peter Tiberio? the Olympics is something I've been wanting to play for, I mean, ever since I started playing sports and really
3: understood what the Olympics were, you know, it's really the, really like the highest level of athletic achievement, but, um, but saying that, I mean, creating a, a, um, career playing rugby is also something else I'd love to do, so, uh, I mean, the 17 There's talk that that might go professional at some point, so, I mean, obviously, if that happened, I would love to do that, and hopefully get into the Olympics that way but um, definitely still love to play 15s as well and, and the World Cup is an awesome awesome tournament as well and um, so I mean a contract overseas would be great also but uh, I mean I'm just kind of keeping all doors open and I'm just kind of go
2: with it Cool Peter, hey I appreciate you taking some time out of, your, uh, out of your, uh, your beach time there in Santa Barbara and talking to us and congrats on everything that's been going well for you and hopefully there's more in the future
0: all right. Well, that was very interesting from Peter Tiberio and talking about players who've had tough games. He's uh, gone out and sought his tough games, playing with the USA Sevens team, and and getting whatever he can out of it, his experience. And, and Pat, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's great. This kid has gone from, you know, a, as you may have read in uh, a not so distant uh, edition of Rugby Magazine, that this this guy was was pretty close to to not to giving up the game of rugby, and then uh, you know just as he's about to tell the coach that he's done, they come up and tell him, hey. On this trip to Colorado, you're gonna go ahead and start and move up to the first team. and ever since then it's been a fast track for this kid and he's been you know playing in, in the highest levels of competition you could possibly do as a college kid ever since and really shining scoring tries left and right and uh, he's taken off the next semester of school to to keep the 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 war path towards becoming an eagle going and 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 I think he's he's done great he's he's kind of the the golden child of American rugby right now. Well, wish him the best. Uh, he is a great player.
0: Very happy to uh, see him do well. Uh, real quick, uh, letter grade on this tour. And, and uh, maybe, maybe if you want to say whether it's a success or not, but give me a letter grade. Bruce.
1: I went to Xavier. We give number grades. So um, <laughs> I, I, give, I give the result obviously is, a, is is the way we wanted it. We won the series, but I think we learned a lot along the way because the New Zealanders improved more than we did, and I think that that is something that we need to look at.
2: Pat, do you give letter grades? Well, I'll actually give a grade instead of skipping out on the whole grade issue there. I'll give two grades. I think that if you found the talent, if there's a couple guys that stuck out, then uh, especially Zach Finola, we found a third hooker. That's an A+. plus. Cause that's a big area of need. Um, if Zach Finolio is not the third hooker, then I'll go with a B. I mean, anytime you crush New Zealand like we did in that first game, a team from New Zealand, no matter who they are, that's pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, I think I think overall was a, it was a good tour for these kids. I'm gonna make a, a final comment about that, uh, in part that we.
0: W- w- we in journalism and, and we talk about maybe it's an excuse, I understand, but when we evaluate how our national team does, we do have to remind people that there are things that happen like the team got together four days ago or they got together four days ago and they had to fly across an ocean and then they had to put together and then there was you know a couple of things were a bit of a surprise and then they had to go play and that's why they lost by 80 points. And we saw New Zealand universities do that. They they assembled quickly. They flew all the way to Southern California. The the temperature was 30 degrees different. It was just very stressful on them, and they lost their first game by 43 points. We saw after that that the games were extremely competitive, uh, so they could turn that around. It does happen. In in the end, I I don't want to – uh, undercut the grade for the all Americans based on the fact that their first game was a blowout, and the next two weren 't uh, I do think they identified guys talking to the players. several of them said that this was the greatest assembly they 've ever been to uh, Gareth jones couldn 't talk enough about how much uh, he got out of it, and not just oh, it was fun, you know we played ping pong and 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 uh, you know drank pink lemonade all the time it 's just like uh, they just really enjoyed being part of this team. I think that's valuable in and of itself. Uh, and and they did lose that final game, so I'll give them an A minus. Ping,
2: ping pong and pink lemonade. lemonade.
1: <laughs> if that's your idea of fun, you are a complete and utter loser. I'd rather drink beer and play pool, but that's – you want to – you know what? Everybody has their own fun.
0: I have a standing uh, gauntlet thrown down with Nessie Malifa. Next time we are able to, to, to meet up, we will be playing a match of ping pong, and hopefully uh, we will be able to do that. But I, I, was, I was nervous about doing it any time recently because I didn't want to aggravate the poor guy's injury. I could just see that as a headline, uh, journalist sideline starting fly half with a ping pong injury. But uh, You
2: must be one – got to – One hell of a topspin on that thing if you think you're going to injure
0: somebody. I I am very good at ping pong. This is my secret talent, and I will will, uh, take on any and all comers who wish to challenge me at table tennis.
1: You didn't want to talk about basketball, but we talked about your ping pong career. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: I'm not going to talk about basketball, especially the NBA. What I would like to talk about is sevens rugby.
1: Speaking (laughs) of basketball… Speaking, speaking
0: of uh, uh, outdoor tackle basketball, uh, Sevens Rugby right in the middle of the, the club season and uh, spent a little bit of time talking with Aaron Mannheimer uh, from the Chicago Lions, still one of the clubs that is uh, um, uh, one, one of the leading clubs in the, the, the Sevens season this year. And in fact – Uh, Peter Tiberio will be rejoining them and be part of that team uh, along with a bunch of other college players that he has. Nick Viviani, Rocco Maurer, JP Eloff, Eloff, tremendous bunch of young players. This is our conversation with Aaron. First, just wanted to get a – an idea, or, or you know, some, some comments right now about w- where the lions are and, and how the guys look. Because you, you know, you talked about having players not always available, which is true, but but you still managed to win.
4: Yeah, um, we're we're just missing um, two players right now, so um, we finally got uh, Dagudis back into the fold. Yeah, overall, we have most of our most of our squad together. That's probably gonna continue to play in the next couple of tournaments. We're first playing the beginning of the summer. We, uh, we're sort of learning the pattern, and when you're learning a pattern like that, you kind of go through the motions. You don't own it. And uh, so we're starting to get, improve on that and work within the pattern, but then still play sevens, because sevens is you know, still a game of making split-second decisions, so you, you have like your pattern to rely on. And to fall back on, but at the same time, you always have to play what's in front of you. At The beginning of the season, we weren't really playing what's what was in front of us. We just kind of sticking to the pattern almost too much. Okay. Now we're starting to develop, and people are getting more confident about what they're supposed to do in situations.
0: Is is that what it is? It's it's mostly about confidence
4: for the new guys, because um, you know we have uh, guys that ha- haven't normally started for the Lions out there, and so it's a matter of teaching them our defensive system, um, and then getting them used to playing with people um, so that they can play off of each other.
0: How do you bring all of that stuff together? Are there certain tools you use... Uh, to to have you know you, you you've got some players who've been playing for the Lions playing sevens for the Lions for years, and then you, and every summer just like any other sevens team, you bring in some some college kids and and some other guys from other clubs things like that and uh, and how, how do do you have some specific tools you use to bring everybody together?
4: Well, for instance, tonight uh, we're having taco night after practice, so just right. socially trying to get the guys. Uh, together. Um, Some of them live at the clubhouse together through playing in the tournaments and then taking a trip like down to Cape Pier. That's a a good like team building situation. I was really trying to get um, J.P. and Tiberio um, permission to go to that, but it didn't work out. Bringing guys into the fold, you know, normally when we get there, we give them a packet that sort of has a, a written explanation of what we're trying to accomplish defensively and some of the calls and things. And then we have um, lots, lots of our game footage is um, online available for them to watch. And so like this weekend, they go back and they're going to watch them playing this weekend and then we'll talk about it um, on Tuesday of practice. And uh, that's really important because uh, it's amazing. If you look at a scoreline and you think you didn't make a mistake and then you go back and you watch the game and you see – all of the things that unfolded and how fortunate you were. Like how many times the ball just happened to bounce your way. Or it's important to go back and look at that and see, you know, where you need to improve.
0: Yeah, that can be pretty sobering too. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about um, with, with the Lions and with with sevens in general is where you think club sevens is right now. Would you characterize the club sevens scene as? a social competition, a, uh, uh, an elite-level competition, or somewhere in the middle? How, how would you see it?
4: Um, I would say it's both. I mean, it's still what it was before, where people just get together and go and play in a tournament, and you have all these really strange names for rugby teams. Um, but when you're at a tournament, those teams are divided up. So there's a social competition. There's an open competitive and then there's the qualifier. Um, I, I don't know that every team in the qualifier is super serious about you know, qualifying, but they might want to just play the best competition that they can find in the area. Um, and I would say that, by and large, the interest has driven a lot more teams to pay attention to sevens and take it more seriously, whereas I would say... Five years ago, um, there were probably literally 20 teams taking it seriously across the country. Now I would say you know, there's probably 60.
0: And, and do you think that's been a move um, bolstered by, by the Olympic decision, by um, things happening at the national level, or is it, is it simply an interest among the players? More players want to play at a, at a more challenging level?
4: I would say it's the growth of the IRB um, 7 Series being on TV. Good. And the Olympics, probably the Olympics being the largest one of those. Right. Um, because when 7s got the Olympics, it, it, it was a trump card to 15s. No longer could you say, you know, a coach couldn't be like, hey, I don't want you guys to take Seven seriously. You know, we really need a coach. We need to really work on Fifteen now it's like, okay, but this is an Olympic sport now. Right. If you want to go to the Olympics, if you want to get money for development, like this is how you sell it to sponsors, I you know, legitimize sevens overnight. And so now I think clubs don't have a choice but to have a, you know, a portion of their program dedicated to sevens. What will be interesting because uh, the experience we had um, when we went to Vegas, and we played in um, February with the uh, CCS. Yes, there was a lot of guys on the team that were like, "I wish we could just play sevens, yeah. you know, year round." And um, I think that, and maybe in a couple of years, there will be a dedicated circuit, uh, kind of like the uh, IRB circuit, where there is this competition that lasts a little bit longer than just the summertime for sevens, especially if. The U.S. wants to be able to compete at the Olympic level. I think that um, you would see that uh, the
0: schedule for sevens would lengthen out. You you, you mentioned that you you feel that there are a lot more sevens teams taking sevens relatively seriously. What about the the next level? And and I would put the Lions in there. uh, You know, you won the the CCS uh, series. And you've challenged for a national championship for several years. Um, You've won national championships. Um, What about that top level? How how many teams are there that you could legitimately say, I think they could win a national championship?
4: I think that changes every year. Um, you got the World Cup year, so there's lots of guys that aren't available for clubs. Like you take the Griffins. Right now they have both Sunil brothers playing for them, and they're not going to be available after this weekend uh, is what I believe. So I feel because it only takes those seven guys, and if you're missing two of them, that's a huge huge debt into your team. So year-to-year, I think that changes. Um, And also, if you look at the IRB series, I mean, you basically have, you know, we have our national championship 16 teams in a two-day tournament. Well, they do that eight times in the halfway. There's a different winner almost every time, except I think New Zealand won four times. Um, so I think if you had a national championship with the same 16 teams, you would have a different winner if you did it four times in a row. I would say there's probably eight teams that could win the national championship.
0: Now one of the one of the fun things that came out of that, which which I didn't put in the the interview, but we we talked about, was that these college players come in. Uh, during the summer, and the club finds them a place to stay. And in fact, the Chicago Lions owns an apartment complex. They, they employ one or, one or two of the players to be the super, and they rent out the apartments just like you know, to anybody, things like that. But they, they have an apartment available so that college players can come in. They have a place to stay. And then if that player, he's graduating and he wants to stay with the club, then they work out a lease agreement. Um, but it 's a favorable agreement for it 's a great way to get started in the city and you, you hear about different business ventures that clubs do to try and make some money and, uh, and and in fact they the Lions used to run a a pub they sold the pub in part to get this uh, apartment complex and and i and I kind of like that i, th- I think it's it 's so much more practical I, I I can see the practicality of owning your own pub i guess but um,
2: I really best part I, I thought, about The best part about that is this is a perk, you know, getting kids in because you have an apartment complex that a lot of clubs like to hide or be ashamed of or pretend that they don't exist for whatever reason, nonsensical reason they have or people look at it as a bad thing. I think it's great, and I'm glad that he was able to – he was willing to talk about it and like, hey, yeah, we got this. This is pretty cool. I don't know why people are ashamed of the things they have like some clubs are out there.
0: Wouldn't you want everyone to know? (laughs) Everyone, <laughs> just anyway. but um, b- back to the sevens. I think the Chicago Lions, a- as we go into the Midwest Championships, look very strong in the Midwest. Uh, 1823 leads the series there, but one of the reasons they do that is because they've entered more tournaments than everybody, so they've accumulated more points. Um, and the big question there, Pat, on uh, on on the Midwest, is what's going on with the Chicago Griffins? Are the Griffins? Are the Griffins a, a, a contender again this year?
2: Right. Yeah. This last weekend they beat you know they they beat the Chicago Lions in 1823 um, at uh, Rock Hard Sevens in Grand Rapids. Now the only five teams showed up, so we don't know if those are qualifier points or whatnot. But the fact that the Griffins beat and I think Aaron Mannheimer said this is the first time in five years that Griffins have beaten the Lions in seventh. Um he says that they've kind of turned around with Andrew Suniula, who who got a little bit of a small tweak injury last week, um, uh, has been their coach. And, and they've got Roland Suniula playing as well. Um, he says that they, they look really, really good, and they've just improved a lot over the course of the summer. And the same thing was said by 1823 coach uh, Paul Holmes. And, and Paul Holmes said that 1823 is the third-best team in the Midwest right now, that the way the Griffins and Lions are playing, and the Lions, as you said, without Siberio and Eloff um, and Maurer, uh, I'm sorry, they have had Maurer. Uh, you know, you add those guys in the mix. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be Lions Griffins are the teams to beat, but certainly, you know, the Young Bloods with, with Nate Augsburger, a speedy little water bug out of Minnesota, and uh, in 1823 with with all the collegiate young talent they have, can can knock one of those teams off. But it's uh, it's the Windy City teams that that are the favorites going into that tournament.
0: You know, they say sevens is a young man's game, but I'm still a big fan of Brendan Brown at uh, Chicago Griffins. He's been he's been a linchpin for them for years, and and uh, and maybe not the the most polished rugby player you're ever going to, going to see, but you're going to get. Uh, On a 15s game, you're going to get 80 minutes from him and you'll get a full 14 in the the sevens and always enjoy watching Brendan play. Uh, uh, Further afield, we're looking at some of the top uh, teams around the country in sevens, and uh, I think the big news is that Old Puget Sound, who I had ranked number one and said was the best team in in the country, are not even going to be at the national championships because they lost in the semifinals at the Pacific Coast Championships, 22-21 to San Francisco Golden Gate. And I, uh, to me, that that speaks back to the whole thing about tough games. I thought Puget Sound was playing tough games. They were playing highly regarded Canadian teams for the most part, trying to get a more uh, a more challenging schedule. But in
2: the end, maybe they weren't. Well, it's sevens. Sevens, the United States can beat Argentina. The United States can go and trip up England. You never know. I mean if you can have a bad 14 minutes and boom, your series is over. I think that's really more of an indictment on this one-off tournament qualification that you do in the Pacific Coast and the South than it is an indictment on OPSB. They do. They do, not you do. I don't have anything to do with it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Not, not you. Yes. You are not the sevens director of the Pacific Coast. But, yeah, I mean, you look at Old Puget Sound's roster and on paper they're the best team in the country. you got Philly Boutitu, Ismail De DeVita. You've got Miles Craigwell. you got Evan Haig. You've got the Central Washington kids going in and filling it out. That's um. as well. Yeah, Pate Lavuka. I mean, yeah. You look on paper, this should be the best seventh team in the country, and it very well may be the best seventh team in the country. But because of the way the Pacific Coast does its playoffs, um, or its qualification system, they're not going to have a chance to prove it in the national championships, which stinks. But it's great for for Golden Gate and the Utah Warriors, and both of those teams are really quite good. You know, the Utah Warriors with Don Potty and and Mike Palafow and Jason Pye. You start with those three guys, and uh, no disrespect to Jason Pye, he's also coaching, but. Don Potty and, and Mike Palafow, that's got to be one of the most dynamite tandems in the entire country.
0: Well, Don Potty uh, certainly has emerged as a great sevens player. Fifteens, you know, he's still got some work, but his sevens play is, is tremendous. And, and don't forget, we talked about Golden Gate beating Puget Sound in the semifinal. Golden Gate then lost – It was 47-26 to the Utah Warriors. So the Warriors have really vaulted themselves into uh, that conversation. And I think the other teams that are in that conversation, I guess Boston – up in the Northeast. Uh, Skillkill River in the Mid-Atlantic uh, have uh, – they won another tournament again this past weekend. They've really dominated – in the end, when what was considered a wide-open Mid-Atlantic region, uh, Skilkill River has dominated. Uh, Chris Ryan, very good sevens coach, is running them there. And then, of course, Belmont Shore, who won their first qualifier, and the Glendale Raptors. So the, the, those are all the teams that are up there, but I, the, the – the percolating that I'm hearing is that it's um, – it's the Glendale Raptors is the best team in the country.
2: Yeah, let me – I've seen the Glendale Raptors play, and, and it was their very first tournament, so they were rusty. And, and they very well may end up being the best team in the country. I mean, Atom Alifa, DeJuan Reed, um, Shay Tamati, which if you haven't seen Shay Tamati play, um, he's a pleasure to watch play. The guy is a – he was he – was, he's probably about 5'8", but he's a rucking machine. He was – Knocking people twice the size on their heels in, in 15s, And he's he's a pleasure to watch play in sevens as well. Spencer Scott, the old Aspen uh, playmaker and, and captain, they're very good. The Woodlands out of Houston, the Woodlands Exiles, which boast Phil Mack, the Canadian seventh scrum half and and captain for uh, Team Canada, um, another Team Canadian player and John Moonlight, uh, former NFL running back Yamar Washington. The Woodlands Exiles are a team to watch out for, and they are adding more firepower. Um, as they're heading to Denver, and I, I think that whoever wins, they're going to clash in Denver at some point, whether it's in pool play or whether it's in um, the, the the knockout rounds, but I think that's going to tell a lot right there. You may have two national title contenders coming out of the West in the Woodlands Exiles and, and the Glendale Raptors.
1: I think that the real indictment is the way the seating system is and the way to, you know, I mean – you look at the Northeast had three seeds, and I think they got they got knocked to two because they're going to have a Hawaii team in. But the reality is the Northeast has one team that probably should go, and in other years we've had three, so that's not not a uh, not a, and and I think the Mid Atlantic is not as strong as they had been in the past when they had Maryland Exiles and and Nova and and Washington and Pack being a bit better, and they're not. They're not where they were at, at that time, so I think that you know at some point you got to kind of look at it as a, as an in, invitational. You know, you got to kind of you kind of kind of look at your seeds because sevens aren't isn't the way it is. Like through a, a true club, like, even at the AC, we didn't it wasn't a lot of guys who actually played for the AC who played sevens. It was mostly college guys or people who came in. Really, only one or two guys on the club played. I think that's similar in a lot of teams, so i would I, I think that they need to look at the way perhaps that championship is decided and and I don't have a necessarily a great answer to that, but I you know to, to have a team like Puget Sound out of it, it happens but um you know or but i I just think that that's that's not necessarily good for rugby in America.
2: The eligibility committee or the competitions committee, I'm rather can't can't sit there and know Bill Gardner's not going to put together a Nova team this year. They can't take away a seed because they they know Bill Gardner's not going to fly in 437 Palamos and all these great players to play for Nova. If he's there, the Nova, you know, the Mid Atlantic probably deserves that second seed and could put a contender into the national championship because Nova's been a contender the last couple of years, always just a few points shy. So it's really tough to it's really tough to brought you know I don't know what forecast what these seven teams are going to do and what the clubs are going to do which year which ones are going to try harder and which ones aren't so it's really an impossible task to know who's giving what seeds but I think you brought up a good point in Hawaii we have no idea what Hawaii is bringing to the table and they may have a fantastic team and uh, in the South as well Atlanta Old White I think is you know they knocked out life and they knocked out. you know some good teams down there. And I think Atlanta Old White may be a team to mess with uh, in Nationals as well. Sure, and even New Orleans.
0: But uh, Aaron Mannheimer brought up the the idea that, uh, and this is something that's come up uh, elsewhere. Uh, I know Dave Pelton came up with this uh, proposal. I know Howard Kent at Denver talked about something like this, and that is rather than a one weekend national championship tournament, uh, a national series where you you, you have you, you have people competing in tournaments all through the year, just, just as they do territorially. But you could have someone who declare that they, they want to do this and do a national series. You could even squish it down that you had maybe three tournaments rather than one tournament. Uh, that would be a, a, a way to, to change how you do this thing and how you, know, uh, you rely on, on like you said, the seedings, Bruce. Uh, the seedings every year are messed up one or two things will go right but then one or two things will go wrong and people will call me and say well why don't they do something where they have a panel of experts sit there and talk about who's really strong this year and seed them based on that not seed not provide seeds based on how Mystic River played last year because that's completely irrelevant, irrelevant to how old, good old blue, blue, is, blue now.
1: is now yeah we don't need another one of Obama's czars running seven rugby but um, I think that you know, Mannheimer's Mannheimer's point is correct. If they're serious about it and they want to do it, have a series, have a have a thing where, you know, you 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 play a bit and 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 you have a couple of tournaments that all those guys get together and and play in. And I think that it would be um, it would be relatively successful. I think the players would enjoy it. It costs a lot of money, but it also would be uh, it could be a nice event, and it would help to develop the game, and it would give. Kind of a bridge between college and club sevens, and and and, and kind of fill out that whole summer and, and give guys a lot of a lot of things to do and some stuff to look forward to. I think it'd be a good idea. I don't have, like I said, I don't have the answer. You know, you're trying to crush a national championship into a, into a, a tight time frame is rough.
2: A lot of these guys do it anyways. Chicago in 1823 go to Cape Fear. You know, the Pacific Barbarians, there's a team that flies all the way from the West Coast. Uh, Pacific Island Barbarians, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend the uh, the owner of that team, uh, flies all the way from the West Coast to play in Cape Fear in Wilmington, North Carolina every year. You've got, you know, Olympic Club played in uh, in Denver last year. You've got Glendale going out to San Diego to, to get some good competition. There's a lot of you guys already spending some serious money on, uh, on getting to different tournaments just for fun. You know, Denver to Dallas probably isn't all that much more expensive than, say, Denver to uh, – Utah or Denver to somewhere else in the country to play a good sevens tournament, so I think it's so doable if,
1: well if they 're doing it, then maybe you know to almost have like a super league of sevens where they get together and say there's twelve sixteen teams and hey we're going we 're going to go to these three tournaments I think it's doable they just have somebody 's got to get off their butt and do it to wait for u s a rugby keep waiting
0: <laughs> you you could argue to the u s Olympic Committee that that would be a great um, well, we have successfully solved all the world's problems yet again. And don't forget that RUGBY Matrix America is brought to you by the USA Sevens International Rugby Tournament. Go to USA7s.com. Don't forget to go to RugbyMag.com uh, to check out all regular news and also updates on everything about Sevens, everything about the national team, everything about the All-Americans. And don't forget also to check out RugbyImports.com for rugby supply needs. We, want, we wanted to thank uh, Aaron Mannheimer for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us a little bit about Sevens, and to t- Peter Tiberio, who chatted with Pat Clifton last week. Uh, we've got an awful lot of uh, stuff still coming up. The uh, World Cup squad, well, not the World Cup squad, excuse me, the 36-man squad for the uh, USA national team leading up to the World Cup. And we also have uh, some big doings in women's rugby with the Under-20 Nations Cup and the senior women's nations cup, and it'd be worth uh, talking about that as we come
1: uh, up through the summer. Uh,
0: Bruce McLean, Pat Clifton, hope you guys will be able to do, uh, survive the tropical weather.
1: As long as I got air conditioning, I'll survive. You know, it sounds like a beautiful
0: cascading waterfall to me in the background. So I, I, I picture you with uh, palm fronds around. Is that how it is? You know, you've got like a little little pool, little fish frolicking in the pool. Your pink I, pong table next to you, pink lemonade.
1: No, I just have an office, and my friends are sitting next to me, and then I uh, and I'm sitting here looking at a laptop computer with your logo and Pat's logo on Skype. So it's not that exciting.
2: Oh. <laughs> I was sure something inappropriate was coming when he said he was looking at it on his computer.
0: (laughs) And thank God for small favors. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. This is Rugmatrix America.